Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland, so that we can help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. You can always join us in person each Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 11 here on our beautiful campus in Rock Spring, Georgia. Hey, that was awesome. Thank you, worship team, for that. Hey, would you take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 5? Matthew chapter 5. While you're turning there, look at the person next to you and say, you look so much better than you did last week. Look at them real quick and just tell them. So much better than you did last week. So, so much better. Man, that is awesome. That is awesome. You, you really want to catch somebody off guard uh, when they're sitting next to you, husband, wife, whoever it may be, just reach over and hand them a mint and don't say anything. You know, like uh, uh, Matthew chapter 5. I started a sermon series last week called Jesus Said What? And we're looking at um, some of the things Jesus said in the Gospels. Now, here's what you need to know about the Bible. Everything from Genesis to maps in your Bible is the inspired word of God. It is all true, 100% straight from the Lord. Inside those 66 books in the Bible, we find uh, some words in red in the New Testament. And those words in red are words that were spoken by Jesus directly, recorded uh, by the Holy Spirit through men who wrote them down. Now... Uh, the words in red are no more the words of God than the words in black are. But we might look a little more closely even at the words in red. However, inside those words in red is one particular passage that covers about three chapters in your Bible. And that in one particular passage, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, is called the Sermon on the Mount. And it's, it's, the, it's the landmark sermon in Jesus' ministry. It is the sermon that rocked the world. You're talking about taking sermon notes. When they were writing down sermon notes out of uh, the Sermon on the Mount, man, there were things that people looked at one another and and said, what did he just say? Because it's not on video. It's not on tape. It's like, no, kid, you keep taking notes. Honey, what did he just say? Because I don't think he said that. And we looked at one of those last week. He told us to nip it in the bud. He's talking about adultery in the heart and, and even before that, murder in the heart. And he was really talking about how to get rid of sin in your life before it even gets started. And you'll find these phrases about six times. Now, I'm not going to look at all six of those, but it sets the tone for the whole sermon. About six times he, in, in the passage we look at this morning, he says it again. About six times Jesus said, you, you've heard that it was said, but I say unto you, And what Jesus was having to do was to teach them to unlearn what they had um, learned. And and it takes about twice as much energy or sometimes ten times as much energy to unlearn something, to learn something new. And so Jesus is telling them, you've got to unlearn something. You've heard it that this was the rule of God. But in reality, here's what God is expecting from you. So last week we saw that, and we're going to see it again today because I want to preach on this subject Loving the unlovable. Because we get to Matthew chapter 5, and we'll stand and read in just a moment. When you get to verse 43, uh, Jesus starts off uh, with something that is just a, it's a phrase that, that, that honestly, there's, you just don't like it very much. I don't like it very much. I wish Jesus had not have said it. I wish he had said something differently. And so Jesus says this one phrase, and we're going to unpack it in a moment. But Jesus said, love your enemies. Now, here's the truth. I know what you're thinking. Jesus, if I love my enemies, they're not my enemies, right? I mean, like, like uh, people I love are not on my enemies list. 
And I know some of you are thinking, preacher, I don't have any enemies. Yes, yes, you do. You've got people in your life that you have a hard time loving. And I know they may not be on an enemies list. They're on a list entitled, I don't like you very much, right? Or they're on this list. This is the funniest list. They're on the list that where we say, I, I love those people. I love them with the love of the Lord. Which means I, I can't stand the sight of you, but Jesus tells me I have to love you. And so the only way somebody could love somebody as terrible as you is if they were God himself. You've got some love with the love of the Lord people on your list. And, and we get enemies in our life. We get these people that, 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 let's just call them unlovable people. They are hard for us to love. They're difficult for us to love. We get people on those lists in our life. Get this. And in general, it is, it is generally people who used to be close to us, but something happened, something changed, something was said, something was done, and now all of a sudden we find them hard to love. It's always people that were somewhat close to us, sometimes intimately close to us, that they did something that caused us to put them on that unlovable list. Heard about a, this just happened in June, uh, uh, no, no, just a little while ago, uh, a 12-year-old boy in Canada called 911 on his dad. And police were dispatched immediately, even before they knew what it was. Police were running out to his, uh, happened in Halifax, and people, police were running out there. And, and the boy, uh, the police didn't get there in time, and so the boy uh, called 911 again just to make sure that they were on their way. You say, what was the tragedy that caused this 12-year-old boy to dial 911? He, he, he dialed 911 because his parents were trying to serve him salad for dinner that night. He called 911 and said, my parents are trying to serve me salad for dinner. I need you to come stop them. The police, when they figured out what it was, decided they were going to keep going. Uh, by the way, you can get in, in Canada, you can get a fine up to about $700 for calling 911. And it happens all the time. That same article said uh, 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 that uh, recently they'd received a phone call from an adult male who called 911 because he could not find his remote control for his television in the living room. And so the police are on the way to the 12-year-old's house because of the sermon salad. And then he literally calls again and says, hey, where are you? My parents are trying to make me eat salad. And here's the truth. There are people that are going to try to serve you salad one day in your life. They are. And they're going to go from being your close, intimate friends, family, coworkers, neighbors. Look, you're going to have people in your life that you used to be close to, that now you find them near unlovable. You're going to have people that used to be on your friends list, that now you find them even almost unlovable. You're, you're, listen, listen. You're going to have people in your own family. Don't look at me. Don't look to the side. That you had such a bond with that now you find near unlovable. Well, we're believers, right? How do we deal with that? How do we process that? 
How do we, how do we, how do we change that? Is it okay to have an enemy's list? Is it okay to have an unlovable, unlovable's list? Is it okay to have a list where I love them with the love of the Lord, but I don't love them? You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, I mean, Jesus says I had to. The preacher preached some weird sermon on it the other day. But I'll love them, but I don't. Is it okay to have that list? Well, stand with me as we read what God said about that list in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 43. You, you, these verses will be uh, a little familiar to you. And so if you... Uh, uh, if you you can if you have a Bible, great. If you have a you know a tablet, look on there. iPhone, they're up on the screen. Uh, I heard somebody say you can use your iPhone, iPads, or eyelids. It's right up here on the screen, and so you you can try that. You, verse forty three. Here's what he said. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. So back to that. Here's what they say. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use. And persecute you, that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Thank you. You may be seated. So again, we find one of those phrases. You've heard it was said this, but I say unto you this, and this is one of those wild statements where, where uh, they w- would have looked at, uh, you know, mom would looked at dad, dad would looked at mom and said, now what, what did Jesus just say? Because I know I didn't hear that correctly. So let me, let me go back to verse 43 and let me dive in and unpack these verses just a little bit as we walk through them. And then let me make some applications that'll help uh, the, us today, I think. Here, here's what Jesus said. You've heard that it was said of old time, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, let's pause right there. You're going to be able to dig your Bible all over. You're going to be able to dig through your Bible everywhere you can. And nowhere in the Bible does it say hate your enemy. It does say love your neighbor in Leviticus, but it does say hate your enemy. And so the Jews had made two bad assumptions about uh, the term love your neighbor. So the Jews had this command from God that says love your neighbor, and they had made two bad assumptions about that. Number one, they, they narrowly defined neighbor. According to their tradition, neighbor meant anyone that was in your group, anyone that was a part of your inner circle. Anyone that was a part of your clique. So you're, you're to love your neighbor, but let's, not, let's define neighbor correctly. Neighbor, according to the Jews, was anybody like you, who likes you, who, who, who th- likes the same football team you like, who likes the same foods you like, who likes all the things you like. In, anybody in your close group, you're supposed to love your neighbor. Matter of fact, the word could be translated even friends. You love your friends. You love your, you love your brothers. You, you, you love those who are close to you. So they had taken the command of Jesus that said love your neighbors. And instead of expanding it out, they narrowed the focus. They made another assumption that was incorrect. They said not only should you, when, Jesus said, when God said love your neighbors, not only are we going to narrowly define neighbor, but that means obviously that if we are to love our neighbors... If we're to love our friends, then it only follows suit that we should hate our enemies. Makes sense, right? So we're going to narrowly define neighbors as our close-knit group of friends. 
And then we're going to expand the word enemies to mean anybody not like us. And so that's what they had done. That's what they put in print. And that's what they had taught their children. That we love those who are like us. We love our group. We love those who look like us, act like us, like the same things we like. We love those in our clique. But everybody else, God said, according to them, we're going to hate everybody else. And the problem is you can't find that anywhere in Scripture. The problem is later on Jesus is going to define your neighbor as anybody in your life who needs your help. Your neighbor is everybody. And so they had totally done the opposite of what God wanted. They narrowed its focus. They hated their neighbors. And so they have this tradition. You, you love your neighbor, you hate your enemy. And so Jesus came along then in verse 44, and he has said this, But I say to you, you've got to love your enemies. Now, it's easy to say, I love my enemies. Matter of fact, we've all said things like this, right? Me too. Preachers have enemies. We all said things like, well, I love him, but I don't like him. Right? And I get it. There's some people I don't really like. Right? You got some people you don't like? You're afraid to answer now, aren't you? <laughs> afraid to answer. I get it. And so Jesus came along and said, love your enemies. And so if he'd stopped there, we would have said, great. I love my enemies, Jesus. And he says, well, love is an action, not a feeling. And he said, all right, so here's how you love your enemies. And he gives you three ways. Look at those. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those, get this terminology, who use you and persecute, who spitefully use you. Spitefully. It's a tough word. Use you. I mean, this, these are people who have honestly, they have obviously done you wrong. They've done you wrong. You know they've done you wrong. Your friends know they've done you wrong. They know they've done you wrong. The whole world knows they've done you wrong. Look at what Jesus said. Bless those who curse you. You give them good words for their bad words. Do good to those who hate you. You give them good works for their bad works. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. You give them prayer for their pain. That, that is a radical, radical difference of, of here, here's what we want you to do. We, we want you to, Jesus, they, had, they, they are cursing me, like literally cursing me. And Jesus said, do this, you bless them. And blessing was a verbal thing in their day. And so they would bless one another. And it, you, you get the idea of blessing even today. And so Jesus said, hey, when they're cursing you, you, you say good things about them. But Jesus, they hate me, and they're doing evil works to me. And Jesus says, all right, here's what you do to them. Here's how we're going to get them back. You do good to them. And that's not what I had in mind. Jesus, they are spiteful towards me. They are per causing me pain in my life. They are, they are talking, that word spiteful with it carries with the idea of they are, they are telling other people about me. 
Jesus says, okay, when, when they're talking bad about you to others, I want you to talk good about them to me. You pray for them. Why would I do that? And he goes on the next verse and he tells you why you would do that, that you may be the sons of your Father in heaven. And so, so here's what Jesus said. I, I've set the example with this. And so here's, how, here's one way I've set the example. I love this phrase. You've heard it said a bunch, that you may be sons of your Father. For he makes, this is God, for he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. And here's what Jesus was saying. Hey, that's what I do. I cause the sun to rise every day on, on the people who love me and the people who hate me. Every time I send rain, do you know what happens? It rains on people who love me and it doesn't rain and it does rain on people who hate me. Uh, and, and by the way, the rain speaking of there is good rain, rain for the crops, rain, rain so you can uh, have a harvest. And so Jesus said, look, I'm bringing the sun up on the good and the bad and I'm raining on the good and the bad. Imagine if that were not so. Imagine if, you know, at 7 a.m. in the morning, the sun had risen on, uh, on your neighbor's house, but not on yours, and it was dark in your yard. So that's impossible. Not with God, it's not. If God wanted to, he could make the sun not rise on your land. Can you, you know how embarrassing that would be? Your neighbors would be like, I wonder what he did wrong. Man, he has messed God up. Imagine if your neighbor, man, it was just, it was just raining and a soft summer rain, just watering their grass and watering their garden and watering their plants and bringing life to their property. And imagine if next to them, your property was there and it was just a dirt patch, a dusty dirt patch. Your neighbors be like, yeah, he's, he has made God angry. Say, well, God, that's not possible. God could do it. That's, that's what he's saying. I, I could do that if I wanted to. I could make it, I could make just the sun to rise on the ones I love and the ones that love me, and I can make it rain on just, but I don't do that. Here's what I do, God said. I, I treat my enemies and my friends with the same love. And, and then he makes a good point. He goes on, he says, For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Not even the tax collectors do the same. And then he goes on in the next verse. He makes another point. If you greet your brethren only, that, that is, we're back to that friend's word, the Adelphos, those in my group, if you greet your brothers only, what, what, what more do you do than others? Don't, don't even tax collectors do the same. Now, can, can I pause for a minute and tell you about a tax collector? Let me get your attention for just a moment. They were the low-life scum of the earth in the eyes of the Jew. Now, I don't know who you think low-life scum bags are, but the tax collectors were it in Jesus' day. Could not be worse, more hated people. They were. So here's what happened. The Romans would demand a certain amount of taxes out of a province. They would, they would, uh, you would bid on the tax contract. And so you as a businessman would say, well, I will get you this many taxes out of the tax province. And so the Romans would accept your bid. If you were the highest bidder and the most competent, they would accept your bid. And those people who got the bid were called the chief publicans, the chief tax collectors. Matter of fact, if you know your Bible, uh, the, uh, Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. In the, in the Greek, it's the word artelinos. It's the, it's the chief one who collects the money. 
And so Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. Here's how you recognize them. They were equestrians. They rode horses. And so these guys were wealthy, wealthy businessmen, uber wealthy businessmen. And they would ride on horses and flaunt their wealth. Well, they didn't go around collecting the taxes. What they did was they hired a group called Public Eni under them in the Greek. And they would, uh, 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 they would hire them and then they would tell them, from each of you, I need X number of dollars from taxes. You go do this region. You go do this zone, you go to this zone, you go to this zone, and here's how much money I want. Well, whatever they collected over the amount they were assigned, they got to keep, and that's how they got their salary. Now, it was a fine line. You just couldn't go in and take every dollar everybody had. The Romans frowned on that. There was supposed to be a a tension between uh, you taking too much, because here's what they know. When they collected taxes, in all probability, they were going to get more than they needed. But if you, got, if, if you stole from people and, and you stole from too many people, then uh, uh, they would report to the Romans. Romans come in, you wouldn't get the contract next year. So there's this fine line. But here's the deal. That lower level of tax collectors, they were brutal men. They were vicious men. In secular Greek, we read about them, and they were called hucksters, and they would come into your house, and if they, if they were supposed to get a dollar from your house, they would get $2, and if they couldn't, they'd keep the other dollar, and if you didn't give them $2, they had the right to throw you into jail. They'd come in and seize your property. They would take items away from you in order to pay your taxes. These were brutal men, and, and everybody hated them. Nobody liked them, and the Jews especially despised them, hated them. That's why when Zacchaeus got his heart right with God, he, Zacchaeus said, I'm going to go back, and I'm going to fix all of the injustices I've done as a tax collector because the Jews hated him, hated him. They hated the ones under him. They were despised beyond measure. And so now with that backdrop, Jesus said this. If you only love people who love you, the filthy tax collectors do the same thing. If you only love your brethren, the worst of the worst of human beings, love those that love them. Love those who, who uh, are their brothers. So what's the difference between your life and a tax collector's life if you're loving your friends and hating your enemies? And then he closes out with verse 48. So he, he, Jesus said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. I'll tell you what that means in just a minute. So let me make three statements that you need to hear about loving the unlovable. Can I say this? Three statements I need to hear. These are things I need to be reminded of because, can I say this? Our natural, fleshly, human reaction is going to be the opposite of everything I'm about to say. It's going to be the opposite of everything Jesus said. And so, so our fleshly reaction is not the words of Jesus. It's not what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 5, 43 and 48. This is not how we naturally react. So here's what Jesus said. Let me sum it up in three statements. Number one is this. If they've done you wrong, then do them right. If they have done you wrong, you do them right. Now, here's what we're getting in verse number 43. That we are, listen, we are in this eye for an eye culture. Remember that? We're in this eye for an eye culture. You, you know, you, Jesus is going to talk about an eye for an eye later on. But we, we've heard this eye for an eye culture. That is, you do me wrong, I do you wrong. You do me right, I do you right. You hurt me, I hurt you. 
And that's a motto they live by. You know, you take out my eye, I'll take out your eye. You, you, you steal my calf, I get your calf. I mean, that's the law of the land. That's kind of how they operated. And so that's why this love your neighbors and hate your enemies made sense. That it's an eye for an eye culture. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do, you do me wrong, I do you wrong. That's the way God wants it, right? So that's how they developed the hate your enemies. And Jesus came along and said, here's what, here's what I want you to hear. If somebody in your life has done you wrong, I want you to do them right. Three ways he tells us to do them right. Our words, our work, and our worship. He says somebody's done you wrong with their words. They, 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 they talk bad about you. They curse you. They run you in the ground. They're saying evil things about you. Here's what Jesus said. I want you to use your words, and I want you to bless them with your words. Now, let's be honest. Hey, hey look this way. How many of us are going around talking good about people who talk bad about us? How many of us are going around blessing people who are cursing us? Jesus said, here's what I want you to do. When they're doing you wrong, I want you to do them right. That is with your words. When they say something bad about you. I heard one preacher say one time, he said, uh, one of his enemies was running in the ground and somebody said to him, what are you going to do about that? So I'm not going to do a thing. He said, if he only knew how bad I really was, he'd have a lot more to talk about. And Jesus said, hey, hey listen, they're running you in the ground. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to say something nice about them. Well, Jesus, they're hating me and they're, they're actively pursuing to do me wrong. Here's what Jesus said. I want you to use your works to bless them. Jesus, at my job, that, that guy just ran me in the ground. What I, what I ought to do? Would you buy his lunch for him? You mean and poison it, Jesus? That's what you want me to do? Buy the lunch and poison? No, no, no. You just just buy his lunch. When when they're hating you with their works, that, look, you love them with their, your words. You love them with your works. Thirdly, you love them with their worship. That is with your worship. That is when they are talking bad about you to other people. When they are spitefully using you and persecuting you to other people. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to keep your mouth shut, and I want you to talk to me about them in prayer. And I know you got this right. I got it, Jesus. Dear Lord Jesus, Bob is my enemy. Would you please kill Bob, Jesus? Amen. That's not what he's talking about. Jesus said, if someone has done you wrong, then you do them right. We fall into this trap of thinking, ah, well, if somebody does me wrong, i got to get them back. And listen, so on the other end of that, uh, they're thinking, well, they've done me wrong, and now I'm going to get them back. And what happens is this mass escalation that never ends, that gets worse and worse with time because we are always escalating it, making it worse. And before long, you're going to ruin your testimony. And before long, they're going to ruin their testimony. And before long, everybody's far away from God because we just kept letting it grow and grow and grow and grow. You know, that's a doctrine in uh, politics. You ever heard of the mad doctrine, mutually assured destruction? Mutually assured destruction was developed. It's part of the Nash equilibrium on, on gaming. And that's maybe more than you want to know. Th that Those gaming uh, laws fascinate me. And if you're familiar with Nash, the great uh, mathematician, he just died not, not too many years ago. And uh, he developed this uh, theory. And we used it when we started the proliferation of nuclear weapons. 
And, and here, here's what the mutually assured de- destruction, here's what it means. It means that we have a deterrent to nuclear war because if Russia or whatever nation launches nuclear weapons at us, we are going to launch nuclear weapons at them and they're going to destroy us and we're going to destroy them and in the end nobody wins because we all wind up dead. Matter of fact, there's a famous cartoon about it. I, I clipped it and brought it to you. And you can see the two sides right there. And I love this saying, whoever shoots first dies second. And you can see both sides have atomic bombs on both sides. But you, you probably can't see it. But the little sign hanging on both of them says, on no account to be used because the enemy might retaliate. So we both got atomic weapons and we're shooting bows and arrows back and forth at each other. Why? Because if we... If we escalate the issue and somebody uses nuclear weapons, then we're going to use them back and everybody dies. And so what keeps a nation from launching a nuclear bomb? It's called MAD, Mutually Assured Destruction. We're afraid of the escalation of that. And that's exactly what Jesus is talking about when he says, if they've done you wrong, you do them right. Because when they've done you wrong, if you do them wrong, you're going to escalate this. You're going to grow it. And before long, both sides got nuclear weapons going on. And before long, you're ruining their life and you're miserable and they're miserable because neither one of you would stop and do the words of Jesus. So here's what Jesus said do. You don't do it. You speak well of them when they're speaking ill of you. You do good to them when they're doing bad to you. You talk to God about them when they're talking to others about you because we've all been caught up in this mad situation. We've all been caught up in this situation where, you know what, my enemy's done me wrong, I'm going to do him wrong. And it's miserable and it's a trap and you can't get out of it. And I want to tell you, you have some people on your enemies list, your do not like very much list, your Love them with the love of the Lord list. Sorry, you you have people on that list. And they've done you wrong and they've talked bad about you. And they've ran you in the ground and they've been spiteful to you. And you say, well, what as a Christian am I supposed to do? Use your words to bless them. Use your works to do good to them. Use your worship to pray for them. When was the last time you sat down and prayed for your enemies? When was the last time you sat down and and prayed for somebody who doesn't even like you. Second thing Jesus said to us was this. He said, your witness is the difference. Now, this is what he's saying in, in the passage when he's talking about the t- publicans and the, and the tax collectors. He's saying, the way we treat those who treat us poorly is what separates us from the non-believer. Jesus said this, if you are just loving your friends... If you're just loving those who love you, what's the difference between you and an unbeliever? A a tax collector does that. I mean, really, how is your life standing out if you're doing good to people who do good to you? How is your life standing out if you're doing uh, 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 righteousness to people who do righteousness towards you? Jesus said everybody does that. You don't have to be a Christian to do that. You don't even know Jesus to do that. It is natural reaction for us to do good to people who do good to us. So Jesus said, your witness is the difference. Here's what he means by that. The way you witness to a lost and dying world, listen, who needs Jesus, who's watching your life, 
You say, preacher, nobody's watching my Christian life. Hey, hey, they will if you'll love your enemies. They can't help but take notice if you love your enemies. See, what we're doing as believers is we're spending all of our time loving those who love us, and we should. But God wants to save us some energy, wants to save some energy for those who don't love us. According to Scientific America, the average human uh, uh, uses about 16,000 words a day. Now, men use less than women, but if you average it all out, it's about 16,000 words a day. Here, Scientific America did a, a long study, and here's what they discovered, that we, uh, we use our words on the same small group of people over and over again. As a matter of fact, we only talk in general to about, and if you work customer service on a hotline, that, this is a little different, but in, in regular conversation, you only talk to 7 to 15 people a day. 7 to 15 people a day. But if you dive deeper, here's what they discovered. 80% of your words every day, that's 13,000 of your 16,000 words, 80% of your words are used on the same five people or less day in and day out. Same five people. Now, I read that and I thought, yep, that's about right. That's probably about right for you. Do you know who we're talking to with those 13,000 words? We're talking to the same people who talked to us. You know who we're bragging on with those 13,000 words? Same five people who brag on us. You know who we're loving with those 13,000 words? Same, same five people who are loving on us. Here's the truth. We, we bring our circle of friends and family in real tight. And if there's six in your family, I'm sorry, one of them's getting left out, is all I know. One of them's not getting talked to very much, but we, we, we bring in that circle of friends real tight. And we love those who love us. And we do it every day with our words. Listen, we do it every day with our actions. And Jesus came along and said, I need you to be different. You say, is it wrong to have an enemy? It's not. There are going to be people who don't like you. Like, are you okay with that? I'm okay with it. I, there are going to be people who don't like me. I, for the life of me, cannot figure out why. Like, I'm likable. I'm lovable. I, I mean, I, I'm awesome. I tell myself that every day in the mirror, every single day. Listen, there are people who get angry at me when I preach. I, there are people who write letters sometimes when I preach. You say he's upset you. Oh, man, I... Look, if you were doing this, I'd write you letters too, right? Like, I've been talking 20, 31 minutes now, and I'm about done, chill, I'm about done. I've, I've been talking 31 minutes. Can I tell you, there's some things I've already said that I said, man, I wish I hadn't said that. Right? You, you would too. Things come out wrong. It's a, you're going to have an enemy. The problem is not when you have an enemy. The problem is sometimes an enemy is an opportunity. Listen, Jesus said, look, here's true. You talking about those words again? Look, you pray for your family every day. I hope you pray for your family every day. But how many of you pray for your enemies every day? So I want to tell you, because here's, here's what happens. Listen, listen, I want you to catch this. Look this way, because this could be one of the most important things I say. Listen to this. Your enemy 
may be your opportunity to witness to the people around you. You say, preacher, I'm having a hard time getting some people to come to church. I'm having a hard time getting a family member uh, to come to church. I'm having a hard time getting friends to come to church. And look, all of that is exacerbated because I got this idiot out here who's uh, uh, coming against me. Listen, that idiot may be the hand of God in your life. Because you ever thought, why can't you get people at work to come to church? Listen, I'm just, just hypothetical. It may be because you're running the boss in the ground the same way they're running the boss in the ground. Wonder why you can't get a coworker to listen about Jesus? Maybe because you're running everybody else in the ground the way they're running you in the ground. And they're, they're looking at your life and saying, what's the difference? And here's what Jesus said. Hey, an enemy is an opportunity for you to be a witness and say, you know what the difference between me and a filthy tax collector is? I, I'm... I'm through the power of God, I'm trying to love everybody in my life. And that, by the way, that's what the verse is talking about. The verse is not just talking about loving your friends and your enemies. It's a spectrum. God's saying, yeah, love everybody in between, too. Oh, yeah. Why can't you get some family members to come to church with you? Could be. Could be. They're hearing you run other family members in the ground instead of using your words, works, and worship to love on them because of your enemy. That's how you witness and make people pay attention because here's what they're saying I tell you what if 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 if, if Odini could love his boss then something's he's got something I don't have if if oh so-and-so could love his boss he's got something I don't have because ain't nobody in the world love that man that woman your witness is the difference third thing Jesus said and I'm done quickly if you want to be great, get rid of the hate. He says it two different times. They, it's not the first and last verse, but it is kind of the bookends of the passage. You'll see it in verse 45 and verse 48. He said that you be the sons of your father in heaven in verse 45. And then he says in verse 48 that you'll be perfect even as uh, uh, you know, your father in heaven is imperfect. And so that's that verse where he's talking about. He makes the sun to rise on the evil people, people who hate him. He sends rain on the evil people, people who hate him. He makes the sun to rise on the good people, people who hate him. And so God is saying, I, I live by my own standard that I'm laying down. That if you want to be like Jesus, if you want to be known, verse 45, as a son of God, then you know you have reached maturity in the Christian life when you can get rid of all the hate in your heart and in your life. So here's what verse 48 is saying. He's not saying you're going to be perfect. The word there in the Greek uh, is more accurately translated uh, matured, coming to fruition as a Christian. If you want to be mature in your Christian life, if you want to come to fruition as a Christian, here's what God said. You have got to get rid of the hate. If you want to be like Jesus, you have got to get rid of the hate. You can't be like Jesus unless you be like Jesus. Amen. And what does Jesus do? Jesus just eliminated all the hate in his life because you can't be a mature Christian unless you act like Jesus. No matter how close to God you think the, that you are, if you have hate, you cannot be great. And when you get close to Christ, you'll start settling debts. And you'll start loving your enemies. Hey, throw that picture up I have. This is a picture of a 44-year-old parking ticket. Minersville, Pennsylvania Police Department got the letter, had a $5 note inside of it, and the return address on the outside of the envelope was this, 
Feeling Guilty, Wayward Road, Anytown, California. Police Chief Michael Combs told the television station, here's what the note said. Dear PD, I've been carrying this ticket around for 40 plus years, always intending to pay. Forgive me if I don't give you my information. With respect, Dave. The fine was for the, a 1974 parking ticket in eastern Pennsylvania, and it was for $2. But Dave threw in $3 in interest to, uh, to cover it and make it $5. Trouble is, that same parking ticket today is $20, not $5. But anyway, 44-year-old parking ticket. He got it in 1974. I was six. Dave paid it when I was 50. And he walked around every day, apparently in that house, looking at that parking ticket, saying, I really should pay that parking ticket. And it took him 44 years to settle the debt. And listen to me carefully. You can close your Bibles. I'm finished. When you grow in your faith, you're going to have some debts to settle too. When you grow in your faith, you're going to have some people that are on your enemies list. You're going to need to get off. If you want to be great like Jesus, you want to be great like God, you want to be mature in your Christian life, here's what you got to do. You got to take people off your enemies list and put them on my opportunities list and say, here's an opportunity for me to share Jesus with a lost and dying world. And to prove that Jesus does that, Josh, come get a song together. To prove Jesus does that, here is what he did. While he was dying on the cross, Jesus said, what? Father, say it with me, forgive them. For they don't know what they do. Before he died, while he was still in pain, Jesus said, Father, not only that, we're told after Jesus died on the cross and they had seen him pierced with the sword and the temple veil was rent in two from top to bottom, that it was only God could do that, that one of the soldiers who were at the foot of the cross looked up and said, truly this is the Son of God. A little research this week, most commentators believe that that soldier came to Christ at the foot of the cross. And here's the amazing thing about that. Jesus saved someone who had just mocked him, spit on him, hurt him, and put him in the ground. That is, I mean, look, if, if you were God and you had just been crucified, I know, can, can I tell you what you would do? Because it's what I would do. I'd look to God the Father and I'd say, I'm going to save everybody in the whole world. Except that little group of people right there who just did that to me. I don't act like you're more spiritual than I am. You would have done the same thing. But Jesus was forgiving them before he died. He was saving them after he died. Why? Because he lived out. Matthew 5, 43 through 48. And if you want to be mature in your faith, if you want to grow and be closer to God, there's some of you here today, you'd like to be closer to God. You'd like to be a better Christian. You'd like to be strong in your faith. And I'm telling you, there is an enemy. It's 
standing between you and God. And you don't need to wait on forgiveness for them. You don't need to wait on them to get nice. You don't need to wait on them to turn good. You don't wait on them to start. Like you say, preacher, what do I got to do to get them to like me? They may never like you. But a Christian is marked because they love I say this if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior. You'd say, hey, I'm not the enemy of God. Can I say something? Jesus said, you're either with me or against me. Matter of fact, the Bible says that if you're not the friend of God, listen, you are the enemy of God. It, there's no in-between. You say, well, I, I, man, I don't love Jesus, but I don't, I don't hate him. I'm just, I'm just hanging out in the middle, good old boy, good old girl. There's no such thing. Friend of God or the enemy of God. Here, you say, well, what kind of positions that put me in? Put you in a real bad position, but here's the good news that if you'll trust Him as Lord and Savior, you can become the friend of God. He'll forgive you of everything you've ever done wrong in your life, and you can be part of the family, and it's as simple as ABC. You've got to admit you're a sinner, can't save yourself, can't be good enough to go to heaven, can't work your way to heaven. You've got to be, believe He died on the cross for your sins and rose again, and see, you've got to confess Him as Lord and Savior of your life. Bible says Romans 10 13 for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved you become the friend of God so would you stand with me our heads bowed and our eyes closed we hope that you've enjoyed the message this week helping you to apply God's word to your daily life for more information about Peavine be sure to check us out on Facebook Instagram and Twitter and at our website www.peavine.org Thanks for listening.